Uh, we're going to continue our study of the, on the Holy Spirit. All of this comes out of the Gospel of John in chapter 14, verses 16 to 18, where Jesus tells us that he will leave, but he is sending another comforter. Uh, and so uh, we have been studying the Holy Spirit so that we can understand in depth what the Holy Spirit is about. It's a very much uh, misunderstood concept, and we try to do the best we can in human language. And because we're using human language to talk about a divine essence, inevitably we have some shortcomings, but I know that God, through the Holy Spirit, will inspire the words that he wants us to hear. Before I begin, I want to just give you a... a uh, a basic insight from me to you as to when I teach and when, it, when I preach, because let's face it, it's not just teaching. It often becomes preaching. Um, and I want you to know that in everything that I do, from the very beginning of everything that I've done as God has called me, whenever I speak publicly and preach, I'm preaching to me. I'm preaching to me. Uh, and I've gotten this because that's what my father told me, and my father used to say to me that whenever he would point out like this with a finger, there were three other fingers pointing back at him, uh, and it was something that I never forgot, and so it's like anything else. When I teach or when I preach, I'm preaching to me. I don't want you to think that in some way I'm haranguing you or this is a fire and brimstone thing meant to call down some kind of judgment on you. It's not what it's meant to be at all. It's me preaching to me about what God believes I need. And then somehow, if it bounces off of me and hits you and touches your heart, I think that's what God wants. But I want you to be aware of that. Uh, it's not false humility. It's just actually that's the way God has wired me and how I, I approach what, what he has asked me to do. And so as we, we begin and continue this study of the Holy Spirit, let me just summarize where we've been and what we've learned. We've learned that Jesus has given us uh, the Holy Spirit as part of the Trinity, part of God himself, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Each one part of the Trinity. And we try to explain the Trinity as best we can. Uh, each one a separate distinct essence, sometimes called personalities, but these words are rather meaningless when you're speaking about a divine being, but certainly a divine being. The Holy Spirit is a divine being. It's not a metaphysical force. It's not a wave. It is a divine being that understands you, knows what your needs are, knows where your sorrows are, uh, and, and so it's important to understand that. As I said in the beginning about understanding the Trinity, for me, the best way of understanding the Trinity is looking at water. Water can be a liquid, it can be a solid, ice, or it can be a vapor, water vapor. It's all water. It's the same essence, and that's what we're dealing with here, the essence of God, the Holy Spirit, who is with you and walks with you. And as I said each and every one of you at the moment that you gave your heart to Jesus Christ, where you said, Lord, I need a Savior. Lord, I'm lost without you. Lord, come into my heart. I accept you. I ask you to lead me the rest of my life. That when you make that decision, when you say it with your lips, but mean it in your heart, that in that very moment, God 
accepts you into the family of God, you are saved, and he has sealed you with the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? amen? All right. If you learn nothing else about anything else that I've done on this concept, that's the key concept to understand. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit within you. It's in you, forever, in you. Uh, and now what we're going to talk about today, we're going to talk about the filling and refilling of the Holy Spirit because here's what happens. is You live in an evil world. You walk in an evil place. There's dirt, evil all over us. It falls over on us. It comes up on us. Uh, and the, our lives are like a pail with holes drilled in, drilled in it. And the pail drips out. The Spirit drips out. And so from time to time, you need a refilling. You need to be strengthened. Uh, because God has great plans for you. And here's the thing. If you think that you want God to use you, you want God to let you speak to people and to bring to people the essence of what the gospel of Jesus Christ is, you need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, you already have it in you, and now God just wants to amp it up. He wants you to turn up the pilot light in your life and make it even more evident. Uh, and we're going to focus today on nine instances. These are the nine instances that I've searched for in Scripture uh, that demonstrates what I call the filling of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to separate it, and I'm going to distinguish for you uh, the essence of what that is. Now, here's something I said before. If anybody ever asks you this question, uh, are you, uh, have you been filled with the Spirit? Are you Spirit-filled? How many people have had that question posed to them? Yeah, I've had people ask me that question. Uh, and I'm going to tell you right now, the answer to that question is unequivocally yes. Every single one of you in this room who's accepted Jesus Christ is filled with the Spirit. All right? Filled with the Spirit. Now, sometimes people use that as a litmus test to see whether or not some people speak in tongues. All right? has nothing to do with speaking in tongues, uh, which, which is a minor gift of private prayer language for some people, not meant to be used in public. Uh, and we'll talk about that, and I'll demonstrate this uh, in this lesson as I give you nine instances, nine instances uh, where people have been filled in the Holy Spirit in Scripture. Now, I'm giving you nine instances because those are the principal instances that I can find, and it was exactly the same way that I would do in court. Meaning this, if I had the law on my side when I argued a case in court, I would overwhelm you with the law, which is what this is. If I didn't have the law on my side, I would overwhelm you with the facts. <laughs> and if I didn't have the law or the facts on my side, I would overwhelm you with something else, but I can't say it because it's on the radio. <laughs> All right? And so that's the essence of, of what you're going to see here. This would be, this, this uh, exposition that I'm going to do would be exactly how I would make this presentation uh, in court because I believe the evidence is so profound. Now, the first time that we see about the word filling of the Holy Spirit is in Acts chapter 2, verse 4. This is the first time. This is the beginning of the church age, all right? This is where the church age begins. Uh, and if you read this, you'll see... Verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. 
Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now let's understand what's happening here. Yes, there are tongues being spoken at this initial uh, filling of the Holy Spirit for the church. Why was that? Because 3,000 people were standing out in the streets that didn't know Jesus Christ. Only 120 knew who Jesus were. They were already committed Christians. They had been told to wait in the upper room and pray and wait for the Holy Spirit. They had already been committed Christians. They had given Jesus their heart. And so now, standing there waiting for the Holy Spirit, 3,000 waiting out in the streets, God gives the gift of, it's called tongues, but I refer to it here really more theologically correct as the gift of language. Because here's the deal as you study this. You see, the Bible makes it very clear that there are people from 40 different nations out in the street, all right? Uh, one of the high holy days. And there they are. There's, a, there's about 2 million people in Jerusalem on these high holy days. They're there from these 40 nations, and now they sit, and each one of these people is hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ preached to them in their own native tongue and in their own dialect. Absolutely astonishing. From all over the world coming out of the upper room. Not an unknown language, but a language that spoke to their heart. And as a result of that, on that day, 3,000 people become Christians. And here's the other thing. You understand, as you, as you come to terms with this and understand the gift of language, that as a result of this, many theologians believe that those people that were in the upper room became missionaries. How appropriate for a day like today. They became missionaries because they'd been given the tongue of that specific foreign place and left there and went to that foreign place and began to be a missionary in that country to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of this on day one of the church age as God dispenses the Holy Spirit. So you see here the power of the Holy Spirit, why you want to have as much of this as you can uh, in your life and the experience of this. Now, I'm going to give you nine examples as we navigate down. Take a look at uh, the fourth chapter of Acts, verse 8. Now, this is where Peter and John have been warned, have been warned by the Sanhedrin, the ruling council of Israel, do not preach in this name. We're warning you. Stop it. There's too much commotion over this. People are coming out. They're becoming uh, adherents to your cause. We don't want this. We want you to stop. And if you don't keep it up, we're going to imprison you. We're going to beat you. And, and we might possibly uh, execute you. And so you read here, uh, as you follow along with me, verse 7. They had Peter and John brought before them, that's the Sanhedrin, and began to question them, by what power... Or what name did you do this? And that was because they, they cured a paralyzed man. Now remember, the Sanhedrin saw these guys. These are fishermen. These are just common people. Yeah, they were with Jesus for three years. But, but what is going on here? They're curing paralyzed people? What's going on? Then Peter, 
Filled with the Holy Spirit, underline that. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, please remember, it was 50 days before the Holy Spirit descended 40 days in the upper room. Let's call it 50 days, 45, 48 days before when Jesus was arrested and Peter denied Jesus three times. You were one of his disciples. No, I never saw him in my life. You're one of his people. I can tell how you speak. No, you don't know what you're talking about. Three times he denies Jesus Christ. Three times he says, I had nothing to do with him. I'm not one of those people who even utters a curse to prove, to prove that he couldn't possibly have been with Jesus. Now we're going to see what happens when he's filled with the Holy Spirit. The same man who didn't have the courage to stand up for Jesus. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. How do you like that? How's that for courage? You crucified him. You were the ones that killed him. Jesus Christ is the power that has raised this man from being paralyzed. And then he goes on to cite a section of the scripture dating back to Deuteronomy. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. And there's a citation there um, to that section of, of scripture. Uh, and you see that uh, in your uh, concordance. And so there he is, this, this uneducated fisherman, standing up to the ruling council, pointing his finger at them, saying, you did it, and this is the same Christ who was the capstone, the keystone that you rejected, citing uh, Scripture. Powerful, powerful evidence of what the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Spirit does. It did it for then, it can do it for you today as well. Look also at uh, the same chapter, verse 31. And so here they are now. Uh, again, the disciples are gathered together. They're under attack. They're under persecution. Uh, and so now they're praying that God give them the grace to go out and have courage in the face of persecution uh, because of, of all the evil that surround them. Uh, and, and so look at the prayer that you see being made here amongst the disciples. Verse 29, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. You want to speak to strangers about Jesus? You want to be the kind of person that can advance the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or instead, do you, you find yourself when there's an opportunity that you go, mm, no, I don't think the timing is just right now for me. You know, I don't feel it's just right. I'm a little awkward. Uh, I'm in the country club with these people. They'll start thinking I'm a flake. No. You know, you, you know, folks, we've been there. I've been there. I told you I'm preaching to myself, all right? I know what I'm talking about. We've all been there at some point. And yet what you see here is as you, as you give sway to the Holy Spirit, as you ask God to give you a, a greater gift 
of the Holy Spirit, to fill you with the Holy Spirit, to turn the, the valves up in your heart. You're going to find yourself having boldness to speak about Jesus to people you never would before. You never would before. You'll be on a plane or in a bus. You'll be at some party, and the, and, and the thing will come up. Somebody will raise a, a question, and God will call on you to speak, just as they did there. You see the evidence of the Holy Spirit. Look also now at Acts chapter 6, verse 3. Now the church decided it needed to pick deacons. It needed to pick workers, spiritual leaders who would take care of the orphans and take care of the widows, who would be responsible for the ministration of the money in the early church. Uh, and look here as you see the qualifications that they looked for in choosing the deacons. Brothers, verse 3, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. So they had delegated that very administrative part, part of the early church to these guys, these seven guys, who were filled with the Spirit. Now you don't see any discussion here of tongues. This isn't a tongue-related issue, but instead what you see is people who have the Spirit in such an extent of their lives that the fruit of the Spirit is evident to everybody. Love, gentleness, mercy, faithfulness. And we'll go through the list of, of uh, spiritual uh, fruit later. But it's, uh, you know, I want you to understand that, that when you receive the Holy Spirit, God gives you, he plants the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Now, some of you are saying right now, well, I don't know. I must have missed out on the love factor. No, no, you didn't miss out on the love factor. You've spent a good part of your life suppressing the love factor. Okay? Grieving the Holy Spirit. Not embracing the Holy Spirit. And we're all guilty of that. And it's when we, we reverse that and no longer grieve the Holy Spirit, but instead embrace the Holy Spirit, look to have it in our lives in a greater way, that you're going to see the fruit of the Spirit become more evident. And that's why they picked these deacons. So you understand what this is about. Now, look also, if you would, to uh, Acts chapter 6. Excuse me, Acts chapter 7, verse 55. This is one of my favorite sections of, of, of Scripture. And this is, this, this is the stage when Stephen, Stephen, will now stand up to the Sanhedrin and give one of the most brilliant sermons about who Jesus was and traced everything in Judaism from the beginning right through to Jesus to demonstrate that within God's perfect will, Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was intended to be the Messiah from the very beginning. And all of the sacrifices and all the bloodletting, none of it, none of it would, would effectively wash away the sins but Jesus Christ. And now, and now, as they hear this, this message, instead of touching their heart with love, what happens when, when uh, Satan hears uh, a message that raises Jesus up? The evil wants to stop it. The evil wants to shut it down. And there it happened, right there in that Sanhedrin, where suddenly they began to stone him and to kill him. And we know that Brother Paul was right there 
right there, the verse tells us in another place, that he held their coats. How do you like that? So that they could throw stones in an even more effective way. He held their coats. It means he was there approving it. And I believe that that was something that, that he had to live with, uh, uh, the memory of that event. And so uh, look at the words here when you see that. Look at seven, chapter 7, verse 55. We'll start with 53 as he, as, he, as he really excoriates them for not living up to the law. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. Do you like that, that use of the words? They're gnashing their teeth. In other words, the anger, the vitriol was so profound, so profound that they could not even contain it. And they gnashed their teeth. They just grinded their teeth in anger, wanting to get a hold of them. You see the Satan has filled their hearts with evil. But Stephen... Full of the Holy Spirit. Underline that. Full of the Holy Spirit. There's no discussion here about tongues or foreign languages or glossolalia. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven, saw the glory of God. How do you like that? He looked up. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand hand of God. He saw all of this instantaneously as they're raining down stones on him as he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And look how he responds. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, Brother Stephen, you're about to die. Who is dying and yet can give one of the most glorious messages of hope to a lost world? You understand how the Holy Spirit works? It takes it away from you, what you're going through, and it points it to Jesus Christ. And so you see this, how profound it is. Verse 57. At this they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Wow. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep, meaning he died. Do not hold their sin against them. Are you kidding me? Who can pray like this? I mean, think about the slight annoyances in your life. When people do something to you that just slightly annoys you or peeves you. Right? You know, driving around town. <laughs> you think you can make that prayer of forgiveness? Lord, forgive that guy that just stole that parking spot. <laughs> forgive this guy who's driving five miles an hour so I can never get out of my neighborhood. <laughs> and you understand exactly what it's like when you see the effect of the Holy Spirit in your life that even when death is raining down on you. Death is raining down on you uh, as evil is being forced upon you. That the prayer is made, Lord, don't lay this. Lord, forgive them. I, I honestly, I hope someday in this life before the Lord takes me home, I can have that kind of, that kind of spirit. I'm a long way from that. Yes, that God will give us that courage. That's exactly right. That God will give us that courage and that strength. And he will. 
God will give it to you. I mean, that's what I want to assure you about this. This, what I'm telling you is there for you. He's already given it to you. It's in your heart. Now you need to, now you need to give it sway. Now you need to embrace it. Uh, and, to, and, and to ask God to continue to strengthen you and, and, and embolden you and give you these opportunities. Now, uh, look also, look also at uh, chapter 9 of Acts. Verse 17. This is another example of the filling of the Holy Spirit. Let me set it up for you. Paul... Saul, who it was at the time, Saul who became Paul, has now gotten letters from, from the Jerusalem people to go to Damascus. It's a trip of about 150 miles right through the desert. For what purpose? To go and arrest Christians, men, women, who have the audacity to be Christians. They're blasphemers. That's what Paul says. That's what Saul says. And so he got letters to go and imprison them. How do you like that? And persecute them. So now he's traveling on the road to Damascus. I want you to think about what kind of a guy this is. This is a very religious man. You see why we don't want to be religious? Do you see the difference between religious and being spiritual? You see it? There's an enormous difference. If you're religious, you're being tied to a specific code of content or code of conduct based on what you believe is the legalism of the background that you come out of. That's what he was. He was a Jew. He looked at it as a Jewish person. He was legalistic. These people were outside the bounds of Judaism. Therefore, they had to die. He didn't listen to their message. They had to die. He was not a spiritual person. And so now as he's traveling through the desert, imagine that, through the desert for five days, in order, why? To go and beat, persecute, and imprison. Imagine being that turned on to do that. That's Paul. And so what happens? It's the greatest conversion in the history of our church where Jesus appears to him, knocks him off his horse, appears in a blinding light, and says to him in a voice that only he heard, everybody else heard loud thundering, but only he heard it, and it said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He's blind. He's on his back. And he looks up and he said, Who art thou, Lord? And I think when he said that, when I read this, I kind of think he said, Oh, I hope it's not Jesus. You know, oh, I hope it's not Jesus. It is Jesus. It's the Lord Jesus whom you are persecuting. And so there it is. We don't see any other words at that point. What we see then is he's blinded, he's struck down, and now he goes and he's uh, destined to wait for three days in, in this blind state at a house. And now we're going to read what happens there. Um, if you look at chapter 9, verse 17. And what happens here is uh, another of the disciples named Ananias in Damascus. It's not the same Ananias and Sapphira, so di a different Ananias. Ananias now uh, is spoken to by God and told to go and pray for Saul. Of course, Ananias goes, are you kidding me? That guy? 
you go and do it, all right? You go and do it. I, uh, and, and it's interesting when, when Jesus speaks to Ananias, look, look, at, look at the way Jesus speaks. Um, and, and this really is through the Holy Spirit. Verse 15, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Good times are coming. No. No, good times are not coming. You're going to suffer. You're going to go through persecution. You're going to go through difficult times. But I'm going to use you in such a way that you will become the greatest missionary evangelist in the history of the world. You will write two-thirds of the New Testament. Wow. Really? The guy coming from Jerusalem? All that? Yes. And so... And so look at what happens in verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales from, fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. After taking some food, he regained his strength. Now, let's understand what this means. There's no, exam there's no discussion here of tongues, even though we know later in Corinthians that Paul said that he did speak in tongues. We know that he went into a church in Corinthians, and he chastised the Corinthian church because when he walked in, there were a lot of tongues being spoken. He said it looked like a, a bunch of drunken people. Nobody who came into the church would be brought to the gospel of Jesus Christ because nobody could understand what they were saying. And so he, he basically put that issue in its proper place, what it was. And the Holy Spirit, the dispensation of the Holy Spirit is not related to that, as I'm giving you these examples. And so here's, here's Paul, and I want you to know something. Being filled with the Spirit, what does it mean? I believe that someday between, sometime between day one and day three, Paul accepted Jesus Christ. All right? He accepted Jesus Christ. He was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Was it on day one? Was it an hour one or hour two? I don't know. But somewhere in that episode of being blinded, all right, coming to terms with the fact that you've been persecuting Jesus Christ, coming to terms with the fact that you were responsible for the death of that martyr Stephen, all of this, all of this must have just convicted him. Can you imagine what that had to be like? The conviction of the Holy Spirit, and that's what the Holy Spirit does. It convicts you so that when you say a word, you know I shouldn't have said that. Or you do something that's unkind, you know I shouldn't have done that. Or you come to a situation where you know love needs to be dispensed and you don't dispense love. Or God tells you you need to write, write a check for something and you say, no, nah, I don't feel like doing that. And then later the Holy Spirit convicts you. That's what's going on here. What a powerful presentation. And so, so Ananias prays for him, lays his hands on him, and God refills him, I believe, is I think the proper translation there. Refills him with the Holy Spirit. And he needed it. This is a guy who needed to be on full spirit all the time because nobody would be persecuted or suffer as much, uh, so much hatred and invective as would this dear man, and yet God would use him in a most incredible way. Look also now, chapter 13, verse 6. 
Acts, chapter, Acts 13, verse 6. Now they're in Cyprus. Barnabas and Saul are in Cyprus. They're advancing the kingdom of God. Um, and as we read this, verse 6, they traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer. How do you like that? That's an oxymoron. A Jewish sorcerer. That's merely, that's merely a sorcerer who happened to be a Jew. All right? A Jewish sorcerer and false prophet, underline that, because obviously that's correct. He is a false prophet, named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. What does this mean? It means that evil had perpetuated itself through this guy to get to the highest political spot. This, somebody really wants to get into this class. <laughs> it probably is. Somebody said it's the devil. It probably is. All right. And so here he is. Here he is. Here is this satanic person, uh, a sorcerer, a false prophet, right at the right hand of the head government guy. Do you think that that happens today? You understand that it does. All right? You understand it does, that Satan is in every seat of government throughout the world. His progeny, demons, are throughout the world. Make no mistake of it. And that includes Washington, D.C. All right? That includes Washington, D.C. And so we read this, not for historical interest, but we read it because God's speaking to us. These are eternal truths. All right? The proconsul, an intelligent man, had sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. How about that? I got this false prophet right here. I don't want to hear from him. I want to hear from Paul and Barnabas. I want to hear about God. But Elimas, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. And ladies and gentlemen, that is what you're going to see in this world when God tells you to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're inspired by the Holy Spirit. You will often be rebuffed by evil. Evil does not want to see the gospel of Jesus Christ advanced. It will try to rebuff you, and you need to be prepared for it. Verse 9, then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. Underline that. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Why do you think that's in there? You think that's a throwaway line? I want you to understand it. It means that even as he was going through this, I'm convinced Brother Paul said to God, Lord, God, Jesus, help me. I don't know how to do this. This guy's right next to the governor. He's at the seat of power. What am I going to say, God? What kind of words do you want me to say? That's what I would be saying. That's what I would be saying. And I want you to see, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elamas and said, how's this? for being direct. You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind, and for a time you will be unable to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. 
There is another example, as I've given it to you, of the power of the Holy Spirit. What is it about? It is about the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not about you. It's not about you lifting up yourself. Oh, I'm so holy. Oh, I want people to see how holy I am. Don't ever say that. You're not holy. I know you're in church all the time. I know you're out doing all kinds of volunteer activity, but you're not holy. You're holy because Jesus died on the cross to save you. You're washed in the blood, and it's that blood that makes you holy. All right? Don't ever forget it. Don't ever forget it. And so there it is. You see what happens there. He says, because they had, had, had given themselves to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives them the very words that they are supposed to say, speaks to them about how they are supposed to approach it, and look at the boldness. You are a deceiver and a liar. You are evil itself. Can you imagine that? God wants you to have that kind of power. I'm not, now, by the way, let's, let's get this clear. I'm not saying you've got to get on your knees for 50 hours. You've got to have an altar call for three days. You've got to get up and ask, you know, sackcloth and ashes. You don't have to do any of this. You need to have an ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ. You have to ask him to be with you and walk with you in every part of your life. And when you do this, this is how the Holy Spirit responds and fills you and strengthens you and lifts you up. This is how you can walk into the doctor's office and get a, a diagnosis that anybody else in this world would fall flat on the floor. And yet you don't fall flat on the floor because you know God holds you like this in his hand. He'll never abandon you. He'll never leave you. Whatever you're going through in your life, because you're a child of God, he's going to walk with you. Can I get an amen on that? I mean, really. He's going to walk with you. He will never leave you alone. He will never abandon you. And so you see this here, this, this incredible example of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's why, of all the things that I've been teaching you these past a year or two, especially as it relates to this, the Gospel of John, this study, this concept is one of the key things. Because you can have all the head knowledge in the world. Right? You can have all the head knowledge in the world. You can memorize the Bible backwards and forwards. You can spout verses. You can be a great theologian intellectually, but if you don't have this going on in your heart, if you're not empowered by the Holy Spirit, you are a zero. You're not going to have a powerful Christian walk. You can't possibly have a powerful Christian walk, all right? And so this is a key part of understanding how God wants you to, to live your life um, and, and, and how he wants you to do this. Look also at uh, 13, Gospel, uh, Acts 13. 52, verse 52. Actually, we'll start with 49 to get context. Here they are. Paul and Barnabas had been out, again, spreading the word of God. And now evil confronts them. Evil seeks to stop them. All right? And look at verse 49. Then the, the, then the, the word of the Lord spread throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. And that means the religious elite. I've just translated for you what that line means. The religious elite. They stirred 
up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. By the way, that seems so uh, classical. They've expelled them. It's, it's almost like being in school and the principal says you have to leave. No, expelling wasn't like that. They were picked up bodily, all right? They were beaten, whipped, all right? And then thrown out of the town, in some cases thrown down a cliff. That's what expelled means, all right? It's very different from the civilized expression of the word expelled, all right? They were expelled. So, so what happens? They shook the dust from their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Wait a minute. Let me see if I got this straight. You guys, you guys were just preaching, and the whole area rose up against you and repudiated you and then threw you out and probably beat you. And so your response to them was you, you, you shook the dust off your feet because that's what Jesus told them to do, you understand? That when you presented the gospel to people, if in fact that gospel was rejected, you don't continue to push the gospel down people's throat. If they reject it, after a while you shake the dust off your feet and you move on. And what's impressive to me here is despite all of this, they were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. How can you be filled with joy after a calamity like this? It's when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Because you understand the joy there is not the joy uh, of a brain operation. It's not a lobotomy. It's the overwhelming understanding that you are within the hand of God. That God has you where he wants you to be. That your life is in accord with what God wants. That as you're filled with the Spirit, you know that God is giving you the words that you need to see. The people that you need to see. And you're advancing God's work inch by inch, day by day, month by month, you're doing it within his perfect will as you bow in submission before his throne. Let's close in prayer and continue this next week. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the words that you've given us, for the instruction on this important subject. Lord, I, I thank you for, for what you've done. I thank you for Jesus, Lord. I thank you also for the Holy Spirit and for an ever-increasing understanding of that role in our lives, Lord, as you draw us closer to the cross, that you empower us and make us the kind of people that can advance your kingdom, Lord, in every way. We recognize that the only way we can have an empowered Christian walk is when we are empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit. Bless our people, protect them in every way, and bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Bless you.